lovely to be here. My name's Steve and um, I'm one of the leaders here. And if you're new to church, I really want to welcome you here, particularly if it's your first time. Um, lovely. Incomparable, that's our series. We're looking at the very nature of God from the book of Isaiah. Ben asked last week, what was our vision of God? And um, there's probably no more important question than that, because what, our, what we look at intensely shapes our very lives. Humorously, Ben said, maybe your vision of God is a turtle, sitting on a turtle, sitting on a turtle. Or was it, you know, your vision of God is a, a pink teapot? You know, what is your vision of God? There's humorous answers. Um, but um, Ben looked at Isaiah 6, where the prophet had a vision of God and saw the incredible greatness and power of God. And in some senses, it was terrifying. And then God, in his graciousness, comes down with, with an angel, touches a coal tenderly on his lips. Lips are very tender places. And God comes down and tenderly touches and graciously forgives him and welcomes him into his very presence. What a tremendous picture of God. And we're going to start a series, well, we're continuing looking at this series, but in Isaiah chapter 40. So if you've got a Bible or a, um, uh, your phone to, to turn to that, that would be really good. And we're going to look at wisdom this week, God's power next week, and then his love and, and finally his justice from a different passage in Isaiah. But this week, we're talking about wisdom. We might think of wisdom as applying knowledge. Applying knowledge that is for good. God has knowledge, but is he wise? Almost every time the subject of God comes up at food bank, people say there can't be a God because there's so much suffering. How can there possibly be a God? How can God be a God of love? And they often have stories which really are hard. And you can see why they might think that. I remember one guy, let's call him George, saying that he went to church at one phase in his life. And um, now he thinks his words were this. Well, sort of. His words were, I think God needs a good kick up the backside. How can he, you know, what's this pandemic about? What's he doing? Where is he? And then he told me something of his life story where his mother was raped as a teenager and that's where he was conceived from. His adopted parents kicked him out at 18. He says just an argument that he had, but most of his time was pretty good. And they rejected him completely and he had a really hard life. So I'm going to talk about God's incomparably great wisdom. I'm going to talk about three things. God's wisdom is shown in creation. I'm then going to try in a very short period to talk about suffering and begin to answer George's question. And then very briefly talk about how we can be wise. So it actually affects our very lives. So let's read Isaiah 40 
Um, but just before we do, a little bit of background. Isaiah had seen that the people of God would go into exile, that they would go into Babylon. And then God shows him that actually they've gone into Babylon, but God is going to bring them back. And the opening chapters of Isaiah 40 talk about God bringing them back. And then I think when we get to verse 12, which we're going to read in a moment, Isaiah imagines a question. He says, how is God going to bring his people back from Babylon? That's impossible, surely. And he then, God shows him, God speaks to him and says, it's because of his almighty creation and his power that shows in that creation that he is going to be able to have that wisdom and power to bring the people of God back. So let's read from verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit or the mind of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. And then skipping on to verse 25, this is where we get our series title from. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. This week, I'm going to talk about wisdom, which overlaps a lot with what Sarah's going to talk about next week, which is about power. So if I've left things that questions, then Sarah will answer them next week. <laughs> so here we are. Um, let's think about verse 13 just a moment. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? And the actual, the, the Hebrew text is, is spirit, ruach, not mind as many of our translations. And fathom, how do we use the word fathom? Fathom we use to measure depths of the sea, don't we? And it's saying, can we fathom the depths of God's spirit or his mind? He's so large, so great. Or who can instruct the Lord as his counsellor? He already knows everything. There's nothing else that you can add to him because he knows it all. Or whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? The answer again is no one. And it's probably a passing shot at the Babylonian or Assyrian gods who needed advice about how to create the world. Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? The answer is not said, but it's, it's no one implied. One of my most powerful visions of God was when I went to Falderbenen Retreat Centre. 
a few years ago. I'd been reading the story of Falder Brennan and the retreat centre, and I remember reading about how God had had healed this blind young mother who hadn't been able to see out of one of her eyes at all since birth and only had had partial sight until eight years previous to this. And then during the worship, she suddenly felt her eyes being painful and she thought, what's going on with my eyes? And then the, the, one of the people that was leading it said, open your eyes, and she began to be able to see. And it's an amazing story that she was able to see some of her children she hadn't seen for eight years. Astonishing. Or perhaps a lady with ME who, had, as she stepped into that retreat centre, God healed her. She had such a bad condition of ME that her doctor said that it was most likely the trip to the, to the retreat centre, probably she would die on the way. But the doctor said actually she was going to die pretty soon anyway. She'd had organ failures and all kinds of things. But as she stepped into the retreat centre there, God miraculously healed her. So I was in a place, having read these stories and many others, of a great sense of faith. And as I look around the, the large hills around the retreat centre, I just sense the incredible vastness of God. And then I thought, you know, this is just a small bit of the UK, or it's just a small bit of the earth. It's just a small bit of our solar system. It's just a small bit of the universe. It's just a small bit. And I had such an amazing sense of God's presence I just bowed down and sang and worshipped and, and there was a and God really touched me in a tangible way at that time but maybe just to put some of the vastness of the universe into context for us if you imagine the earth being the size of a pea, okay, or maybe the size of your end of your finger, then uh, the sun is 93 million miles away. Now, if the earth is just the size of a pea, the sun would be the same distance as if you walk to the school entrance and back. That's how far the sun would be away if the, if the earth was a pea. Now, if you then think about the distance of 93 million miles as just the thickness of a sheet of paper, and you stacked up bits of paper all the way up to the ceiling here, right? and you did that three times over, that's 22 metres, that, that would be the next nearest sun. Can you imagine that? That is such a long way away, isn't it? We just can't really grasp the vastness of the universe. And then if you were to count the stars in the universe, or in our, in our um, galaxy, if you counted three stars every single second for 24 hours, it would take you a thousand years just to count the stars in our galaxy. Right? And if, well, if you wanted to count the number of stars in the universe, then that would take a little bit longer. So, you know, you might think perhaps, uh, perhaps a hundred trillion years of counting. 
there are so many stars. Now, I put this here so that you could, if you get lost in the universe, if you can remember that's your galaxy, and then if you, um, and there we are, so you'll be able to find your way home, won't you? Okay? Number of stars, I don't know. The number goes up all the time, doesn't it? 200 billion trillion stars, something like that. And it says in here, Isaiah 40, with the breadth of his hand, he marks off the heavens. And I don't know whether, but, but for me, sometimes when I'm doing rough jobs of carpentry, I might use my hand to measure something or my finger. It's something, I was going to say readily at hand, um, something that you, that you, um, you measure something easily. God can measure the heavens, easily, with the breadth of his hand. But then the work marked off speaks of craftsmanship and precision. And God has done this universe with precision. It speaks not just of his power, but the sense of his wisdom that he's done it in a crafted way. I don't know whether you've watched the green planet, for example, and all the different species of plants. Amazing, isn't it? The guess is probably 8.7 million plant and animal species. And then think for a moment, closer to home, about a full stop. In a, if if you, you could get 200 human cells just in a full stop, and in a full stop, in, in each of those cells, there would be a hundred million proteins. 20,000 different proteins in that cell. And then all those cells in our body join together and there are something like 37 trillion Cells, each that have a hundred million proteins in them. Truly, we are awesomely and wonderfully made. Whatever your view of how you think God did this, surely it speaks of incredible power, incredible wisdom and crafting. He used his knowledge of the subatomic particles, the atoms, to create a vast and beautiful world. In other words, he applied his knowledge with wisdom, bring something good out of things. So that's my first point. God's incredible power, so incredible wisdom is shown in his creation. So let's do the more tricky one, the suffering one. Of course, it's impossible to do it in this moment or actually to really, whatever I'm going to say is not going to fully help those that are in a suffering state because of the pain that suffering can bring in our lives. But for George and many people, if God is all-powerful, all full of knowledge, then why is there such a world of mess? Surely God either doesn't exist or he really isn't wise. He might actually be bad. Maybe you've seen on the BBC article that I read recently about a guy, an Australian guy, when he was seven years old, he was looking after his sister, Ricky his name, 
He turned away for just a few seconds and his little sister was taken, three years, three years old. She would never be seen again. For five decades, he's, rec he's wrestled with the guilt. Now he's opened up to BBC's John Kay and a new true crime podcast called Fairy Meadow. And he writes, I'm not a religious person, not at all. I mean, what kind of religion would allow it to happen? She was only three years old. And the world is full of things like that. The problem is, what makes it seemingly worse is that Isaiah and many places in scripture speak of God controlling and planning everything. Isaiah writes this, for example, in Isaiah 46. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. From the east, I summon a bird, a bird of prey. From a far off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. For what I've said, that will I will bring about. What I've planned, that will I will do. From such verses, it seems that God plans and controls all things. Some take the view that God is sovereign over everything and he controls everything. But probably a more common view would be to take the thought that there are some things that God is definitely going to do and there are other things that he allows. But even the idea that he allows things comes with problems. Because it usually meant that he could have chosen to do something different and didn't. The Australian girl that he allowed to snatch, why? If he allowed it when he could have done differently. Because he didn't step in and stop the tragedy, then there must be some, Christians have often said, and this is a particular view, is that there must be some good reason for this that we don't see. We don't see the big picture. That's certainly one view. But more often not, that non-Christians and some Christians, when they face such things, have not been able to swallow that kind of idea. Can, is God good? Is he wise? Can he be trusted? This is where the world, like George, rejects God. It is a huge subject, and in some ways I'm tentative to try and give any kind of answer to these kind of things, but in the short minutes I'm going to have a go. This is my view. Please understand this. But it helps me to, to worship an incomparably great God who is wise in the mess of the world. I want to follow and know God because of this kind of approach. You see, there are some things that God has planned to do that talked about in Isaiah, etc. And Sarah's going to talk about some of those things. But I think there are some in the Bible that other plans that do not happen, that God says will happen and, and do not. Why is this? It is because God respects human freedom 
and does not always, does not stop, does not step in to control the outcome. He genuinely, really gives freedom. You see, Jesus asks us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it in heaven. In other words, God's will is not being always done on earth. And in Luke 7.30, it says, Jesus says that the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptised by John. And another example where God's plans are rejected. Isaiah 30 verse 1. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin on sin. In other words, God had a plan, but actually they did another plan. So not all God's plans and his will happen. Was it God's will for Judah to sin? No, I don't think it. Can it be for a holy God to will that someone sins? Was it God's will that they should suffer and go into exile? No. Much of the chapters of the book are trying to encourage the people to turn away from their sin and come back to God. Yes, ultimately they didn't hear those warnings and they were responsible for the consequences of their sin. And probably the biggest example where God's will is not done is in terms of salvation. The scriptures tell us in 1 Timothy 2, chapter 2, for example, that God desires that all would be saved. But also scripture tells us that not all are. So if God allows people not to be saved when he could have stepped in and done differently and allows people to go to to miss out on his eternal salvation, I begin to question God's goodness. Instead, I think it's like this, that God has set up the world that he cannot override or in, in most circumstances, he cannot override our free choices of what, of what we do. That is what he has set up the world. He's made it like that. And then he is not able to intervene and change what people do. So why did God back make a world with human freedom. It was because he had love before the creation of the world. God had love as Father, Son and Trinity working together. This incredible experience of love. And they said, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if we shared this love with other people, that people, other people could enjoy the love that we have. And so they decided to create human beings. But they thought, oh, we can't create robots that won't, they won't love. They'll just be doing what they're programmed to do. We'll have to make free people, people that can choose to love. Ah, but also there is the possibility of sin and brokenness and suffering as they choose not to love. And it's that context that human beings choosing not to follow God creates sin and suffering. But there's more than that. That doesn't explain all the problems that we see in the world. 
And of course, in that context of before the creation of the world, God seeing that possibility, Jesus says, I'll come and I will save them and I will ruin new creation if they do sin and if this mess happens and I, we will woo them back to love God, love us, Lord. Yeah, so there's that. God is after love. But there's also spiritual beings, angels that have fallen. We know that in other parts of the Bible that God made angelic beings. Just like man, they had, they had free will and chose not to follow him. Satan chose to disobey God and a whole band of angels came with him. And this is the spiritual battle between good and evil that's seen in every book of the New Testament and almost every single chapter of the New Testament. This spirit world deeply affects our world. And we see this so clearly in Daniel 10 where good and bad angels are looking after the various nations and they're fighting to bring in God's purposes. For some, the reading of the Bible is 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 very clearly portrayed as that God is both in control and the Bible is telling us that we have free will. So God is both controlling all events and that he is given free will. This is another view I'm saying here. Another view is that God controls and he gives us free will. And that maybe is just part of the mystery of God that this happens. To be sure, God is beyond our finite minds. He has many things that we do not understand. He is way above and beyond us. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 55 says that as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his thoughts above our thoughts. But I don't really favour that kind of view. For one thing, it seems to me, perhaps as an engineer, that it's illogical that God is both controlling and we have free will. That's just not possible. I know God can do the impossible, but he can't make a square into a circle. It's equally, you cannot do this. Secondly, by saying that God is both controlling and we've got free will, that doesn't let God off the hook about suffering. And thirdly, it doesn't make sense of a spiritual battle. God is like playing both sides. It's like playing both sides of the chess. Chess game. And then how is man, human beings, responsible if God is controlling such events? So you might guess that I'm not really a fan of saying that God is in control. But that depends what you mean. If it means that God is control of every single event, then I'm, I'm a bit concerned about that. That's my view. But if you're saying that God is controlling the vast sweep of history and taking history to its final destination and end, then that's good. After all, 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So I think it's better, perhaps this is a helpful analogy, maybe not, but you, you might take this, is that I think it's better to think that God is in charge of where things are going rather than in control of all things. Imagine if you're a teacher taking a class to a zoo 
and you're in charge of that overall trip or perhaps you're in control of that overall trip but are you in control of every single child every single thought every single action every single child that's banging up against someone else and bumping them and you can't as a teacher you certainly can't stop all those things but you are taking that class to see the good things in that Azu trip. And I've just touched on this this morning. And if you, you're interested and you want to know more of the biblical background for some of these ideas and thoughts. The book that really is very good is, is Gregory Boyd's book which says God is not to blame. Why have I laboured this point? Well for me in the face of suffering with this kind of view i can see that god is a god of love i can see that god is incomparably great he is the one i want to follow and worship in the midst of suffering and i've observed over the years that many christians have um, either when they've gone through tragedy have lost their faith or have weakened their faith because they cannot see how god would have allowed this and non-christians like george and others i think is a far better answer ben said what is our vision of god because what our vision of god what our vision is shapes us dramatically our vision of god is jesus jesus he is the revelation of God. And when we see Jesus walking around Galilee, he always sought to remove suffering. He never put suffering on people. He was always good. That is our revelation of who God really is. He is good. So as I was sat down talking to George about his life story, I was able to say, let me give you another perspective. Let me tell you about Jesus. And I told him the story of the prodigal son. And then he was happy for me to give him a Bible with a marker of where Luke 15 was. And I was able to pray for him. Because Jesus, he's full of love. And he doesn't put suffering on people. Yes, God can bring good through suffering, to be sure. But I don't believe that God does that. You see... I don't think, as we look at Jesus, I think we see her God is not like an insecure dictator who's controlling all things with a big stick about to bang people because they're not doing what, what he wants. We, we are very familiar with the idea of dictators at this moment in time, aren't we? But, but we see as we look at Jesus... We find a God of love, a loving father who is well, wanting to welcome people into a relationship with him. And he is not seeking to bring people into a relationship by banging head people over a stick, but wooing people with a sense of his remarkable, incredible love. Hopefully you're still with me. God is an incredibly wise God. We see that in creation. Suffering in the world is not due to God because he is good all the time suffering is due to human wills 
and bad angels' wills, and the mix of that kind of thing. Sure, we don't know exactly why, but it's those things that are the problem, not the character and nature of our God revealed in Jesus. Wisdom, how do we get it? Big subject, I guess. God has incredibly great wisdom and he loves us. He is for us. He who did not spare his own son, surely will he not give us all things. God is for us, not against us. He knows me. He knows you. (laughs) Everything about you. He loves you. And he wants to move in your life and guide you into the best things in life. A very powerful verse in my life has been Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. I remember so clearly as a a young student finding that verse really helpful to me and it's been true of life for me. God's word, as I've trusted him and not my own thinking about how to do life, has been a real blessing in my life. I can stand here now as a life tests me to tell you that when I've messed up, it's because I haven't gone after God's word. But when I've gone after his way, it's been good. And I can stand here today that that when we acknowledge him, in other words, we pray to him, we have a relationship with him, he will direct our lives. I can tell you that as I've developed a relationship with God, that is so precious and so has really, really helped me. God is good. He does have plans for us which are really good really good ones and he wants us to go in his way he but he gives us a choice about that he is the one to follow he is the one to know he has incredible wisdom and we're going to have a time of communion in a moment so uh, let me pray Lord we cannot understand your greatness you are truly incomparable in your power your love your holiness you're full of glory and thank, I just thank you Lord that you touch our lives with your grace and your love. Lord, as we take communion, would you help us to see how much you love us and help us, Lord, to trust you with our very lives. Amen.